This podcast was first broadcast on Fresh FM, the top of the South community access radio station. For more information on Fresh FM, as well as links to other great local podcasts, go on our website freshfm.net or download the accessmedia.nz app. Kia ora, friends. I'm Joanna Santabarbara of Motueka, bringing you an eco-postcard. Each week, I send you a small snapshot of a few things going on in our world concerning the health of our beautiful planet. Sometimes it's good news and sometimes it's not. So today, oh yes, we have an interesting thing to start with. It's in the the area of the idea of carbon capture and storage. Perhaps the the, the most raw form of this idea is we we can keep churning out carbon dioxide um, by burning coal and so on, and then uh, we'll just we'll just capture it. We'll build build a machine to capture it and pump it under the earth, and then we don't really have to change our ways very much as long as we build these machines to capture it. <laughs> okay, so. A lot of work and a lot of money have been put into accomplishing this, and there are many variations on this theme. Many people say that's not possible to do it at scale. We do have to stop burning fossil fuels because we cannot keep accumulating carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and warming the earth. All right, well, one of the experimentations with this idea has been in Iceland, and there the world's biggest carbon capture machine has been built. It sucks in carbon dioxide by means of suction fans. It concentrates the carbon dioxide and mixes it with water and injects it a kilometer down into basalt where it turns into calcium carbonate and stays there. And they reckon that they can deal with 4,000 tons a year. Now, our region produces 1,200,000 tons each year, so far as we, our most recent figures tell us. So if we were to try to deal with that by carbon capture and storage rather than attempting uh, emissions reduction, we would need 300 of these machines in this region. And each of them looks like eight shipping containers with pipes. And they run on fossil fuels, presumably, because they obviously use a lot of energy. So if you can imagine 300 of these eight shipping container boxes connected by pipes scattered around our region and what that would do to the aesthetics of our region, not to speak of the energy usage. That's what that's, that particular climate change solution would look like. Not a pretty picture in my opinion. Okay, next topic is takes this kind of macroeconomics and it has to do with the issue of how much will climate change affect GDP or gross domestic product, which up until now has been used as a measure of the success of 
a nation's economy. In brackets, I have to say, many people dispute that that particular indicator of economic success and say well-being of the population should be the indicator of success. But GDP up till now prevails as the most important indicator. Now, mystifyingly, older economic studies, when asked the question of how will climate change affect GDP the rest of this century, come up with answers that seem unbelievably low, uh, like 1% to 2% by 2100. And I've, I've certainly heard arguments made that that impact is so small that we really needn't worry about climate change. A recent multinational study involving major economic institutions has revised those figures considerably and uh, suggests that GDP by 2100 will be 37% lower than it otherwise would have been without climate change. So not the most close to living life reason for uh, acting on climate change, but nevertheless for people who run their lives by the importance of GDP as an indicator, that will certainly have some impact on uh, the discourse on that issue. Now we go to a different realm of knowledge, the realm of plant genetics, and have a look at the fact that the plants that we eat are derived from wild varieties and the impact of climate change on those wild varieties is problematic. Not only climate change, I have to say, the impact of many things on those wild varieties is a significant problem. With the changing climate, what plant geneticists would be doing is going back to wild varieties and seeing what genetics, what varieties are best adapted to new conditions. So if an area is going to be drier, are there varieties that will do well in dry conditions? If it's going to be wetter, similar questions. Um, But you need the basic wild varieties to look for what's going to be adapted to new conditions. But many of these wild varieties are themselves threatened with extinction. And the threatened ones (laughs) makes the threat pretty real to us because there are lots of things that we love to eat, like avocado and vanilla and many kinds of potatoes, bananas, apples, plums, and ginger. So crop yields around the world are forecast to drop as temperature rises, threatening food security, and in addition, soil salinity or saltiness is increasing, and in some cases, pests and diseases are increasing. It has been possible to breed squashes that better withstand cold and blight, to breed potatoes that better withstand drought, to breed maize or corn with higher yield. But temperature increase, habitat conversion, logging, over-harvesting, invasive species, 
contamination from genetically modified crops are all interfering with the survival of the wild species, some of which are going extinct. What we need is uh, we need good seed banks and we need preservation of the traditional knowledge of the cultivation of these wild species in the areas of their origin. Okay, that's it for today. I'm Joanna Santa Barbara and this has been an Eco Postcard. Eco Postcards airs on Monday afternoons at 3.30 p.m. and Saturday mornings 9.50 a.m. Till next week, bye for now. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this podcast available by funding the Access Media Project. Other great podcasts from Fresh FM are available through the accessmedia.nz app or our website freshfm.net.